This is the Grants Interest Rate Observer podcast coming to you from the Grants Interest Rate Observer radio transmission tower at our corporate headquarters at 2 Wall Street. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, we are sponsored today by Bonwe.com, the famous travel site. And we are sponsored by uh, Pitney Bowes SendPro. So thank you, Pitney Bowes, and thank you, Bonwe. Around the table today are uh, my friends, uh, the great Evan Lorenz, the deputy editor of Grants, um, Eric Whitehead at the controls, and uh, Phil Grant, the author of our daily splendid emission called Almost Daily Grants. It's free, and uh, you got to read it. And I would first like to call to our listeners' attention the new filing of the Swiss National Bank. That's the, uh, the gnome's own Federal Reserve, so to speak. It's their central bank. And uh, what the uh, Swiss National Bank does is to create francs, and it creates them for the purpose of suppressing the unwanted appreciation of the national currency. Now, exports, Evan, as you know, because you told me, are a major portion of the Swiss GDP. And it will not do uh, for the Swiss to be unwantedly strong, the Swiss E to be unwantedly strong. It has been, not in recent days to be sure, but it has been over the course of years and decades, uh, been uh, a kind of a port in a storm. So uh, it, you know, there's trouble in the world. People flock to the Swissy, even um, you know when the North Korea is rattling nukes. In fact, Evan, uh, people were flocking to uh, yen too. Uh, Japan being slightly closer to North Korea than Switzerland. Go figure that one. Yeah, one can kind of understand why people go to the Swiss franc when uh, there might be a nuclear war between the U.S. and South Korea or North Korea. But Japan's kind of in the firing range. Yeah. Well, maybe they'll uh, seek uh, uh, shelter in the uh, South Korean won, too. But uh, anyway, we're talking about the Swiss franc. So this, the Swiss National Bank is not just a central bank, Evan. It is also one of the players in uh, the world of equities. It buys foreign currencies with the francs it creates, and with the dollars, it buys uh, bonds and uh, cash instruments, and it, it, uh, it most notably buys equities. It has $84.3 billion worth of stocks, which, a lot of money, even if you say it fast, $84.3 billion. And it buys these stocks without much... Uh, uh, indeed, without any analysis, it buys them by what market cap weight? It just seems to buy the broad yeah, market. It buys the indices like everybody else. So it owns a million four hundred eighty-one thousand shares of Amazon or something. It owns a nineteen million shares of Apple. It owns eight point eight million shares of, uh, of Facebook, Netflix, a million five. I mean, it buys, it buys them because it creates the francs with which it buys the dollars with which it buys the stocks. Evan, uh, what exactly is real about this? Well, I mean, uh, the, the businesses it's buying are real. Yeah, well, the, I guess the stock certificates are real too. And, uh, and the francs, are, I guess, are as real as uh, Ethereum, right? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Okay, so that's that's the uh, that's uh, that's our, our quarterly riff on the Swiss. It, it, and I, I must say, Evan, I, I I find the metaphysics of this puzzling, and uh, to me, it is uh, representative of uh, a great deal of what's going on today, which is uh, the preoccupation with central banks and their policies, uh, the single-minded analytical focus it seems on those policies. Um, I also wonder about the physics. I mean, as a major U.S. equity shareholder. 
it should, as a, a good steward of capital, actually be voting proxies. It owns thousands of shares. I mean, do they actually have an analytical team going out there looking for good corporate governance? Well, I think their analytical team is roughly the size of the one at Vanguard that uh, that uh, surveys the index funds. I would guess. I, th I think the, the Swiss have uh, have protested against the possibility of the Swiss National Bank buying the likes of Raytheon and other merchants of death, to coin a that to recall a phrase from World War One. But I don't I don't think that they're asking you know what how Netflix is going to be impacted by Disney's decision on. Uh, doing its own bespoke uh, distribution of, of content. And they also own Valiant, which is um, a corporate uh, maldoer who's actually hurt a lot of Americans. Yeah, they own Tesla too. That's another story. Uh, Bonwee.com is uh, a proud sponsor. I guess it's proud. Yeah, Bonwee.com is pretty darn proud of Grant's podcast, and we are proud to be sponsored by Bonwee.com. That's B-O-N-W-I.com. Now, Bonwee.com gets you the best hotel rates and up to 30% back in rewards. It's a travel site where you can book hotels and cars. They scan all major travel sites to bring you the absolute lowest prices. In fact, uh, they guarantee it with up to 110% of a price guarantee. And when you book through Bonwee.com, you get up to 30% back in reward points. And other travel sites give you what? 2%? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so reward points can be used for airline tickets, hotel stays, gift cards, what have you, maybe even gift baskets. And these points have no restrictions, no blackouts, no processing fees. So learn more by visiting bonwi.com. Again, that's B-O-N-W-I.com. Start saving money on hotels and getting up to 30% back in rewards. Thank you, bonwi.com. Um, hey, um, corporate bonds are the rage, right? You have to own bonds. Because why? Because... Uh, well, people need income, right? And uh, income is hard to get, and treasury securities yield uh, nothing or next to it still, although treasury bills yield what even in excess of one whole percentage point. That's a change. But uh, uh, famously, infamously, uh, fixed income securities uh, offer precious little income, so people you know, take what is available, not what they wish was available, and they are buying corporate bonds. A lot, right? Yeah. Well, um According to uh, SMR Money Manager Survey Asset Allocation, uh, which is a, a survey that dates back to 1999, corporate bond allocations are the biggest in uh, inclined portfolios on record. I mean, people are earning more corporate bonds than they have since uh, since at least the height of the dot-com era. Yeah, well, there are, are there, they, they buy corporate bonds because they yield uh, an increment more than uh, government securities. And, uh, you know, uh, among the issuers of corporate debt, uh, certainly the most uh, publicized recent issue or prospective issue, we could say, of corporate debt is Elon Musk's own Tesla. Tesla is out there selling. Uh, Phil, you've been following this. How much are they selling? Uh, gonna... 1.5 billion issue uh, that they've been raising this week. And interesting story from Bloomberg yesterday, updating us on the progress of the, uh, the roadshow. An investor, unknown or unnamed, I should say, uh, uh, told Bloomberg that um, Elon and his uh, charm offensive—that's their words—managed uh, to uh, raise no less than six hundred million on Monday after just a few hours of a, uh, of a presentation in Manhattan. Not not too shabby for uh, for for one day's work, I would say. Especially when when adjusted for free cash flow or the lack of it. No. Yeah, I think um, they burned something like one point four billion in free cash flow in the last quarter, and that uh, meeting—I think it was in the Palace Hotel. Um, not, not a uh, shabby place. 
Yeah, well... There's uh, a, also a funny quote from um, uh, Marty Fridson in the story, uh, noting that it's a great deal for them, which by definition means it can't be a great deal for the investors. So I, 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 I suppose we can count him as uh, not among the, uh, the capital committees. I would guess not. But Tesla uh, is uh, many things, but Evan, it's not in the restaurant business. Which, which business is, uh, is on fire, no? Yeah, well, well, at least hiring in restaurants is on fire. The Atlantic had an article out today noting that growth in restaurant jobs has outpaced overall job growth for the last seven years. And in fact, if you look in the last uh, 200 days, basically uh, Trump's presidency, uh, restaurant jobs have grown faster than any other category in the country. We're, more and more of us are serving food to others uh, who are buying food, and that seems to be the business. You no, know, it's, it's in a way, it's like podcasts, because everyone now, right, has a podcast. Well, just fine. It's about everybody. And um, if we all listen to each other's podcasts and uh, you know monetize them as we at Grants are attempting to do uh, in our way, I can see this as being a big, big contributor to GDP growth. There's one up for a podcast. Uh, the New York Times says a lot of people listen to them at four times speed, so you can get through four times the amount, number of them. You, you can't for, fast forward through a, through a restaurant meal. Oh, no? I, it's spoken like a somebody who's not yet a father. But please proceed. Tell us about the significance of this massive hiring at, at restaurants. The, the interesting thing is there's been a very, very, very long-term trend towards people eating outside of their homes. Uh, in 1950s, um, roughly a quarter of a consumer's budget uh, spent on food was spent on food outside the home. Uh, today, it's around 50%. So like half of all the money that we spend on food, we spend at McDonald's or per se or wh whatever restaurants you go to. And in fact, people kind of expect this to continue. So um, the chief strategy officer of um, Starbucks was asked about this. I mean, there's been weakness in recent re restaurant same-store sales, and people are saying, well, what does this mean? Are, are consumers changing? And uh, here's what he said. Let me first frame this with a little bit of long-term view here, which is that the U.S. and just about any other market we've studied, there's a decades-long trend for growth away from home, food and beverage consumption, driven by demographics, and people just want more convenience. And we're strongly bullish on the long-term continuation of that trend. But the thing is, you know, there, there's a limit to how much of a budget of the, of the consumer, like eating out of home, can capture. It can't get more than 100%. We're already 50%. There, there has to be some kind of limit. And restaurants keep on building um, more and more, you know, or restaurateurs keep on building more and more restaurants. One, because capital's cheap to, to do it, but also because they saw this long-term trend that they just project ad infinitum to the future. And they think they can keep growing, uh, you know, to the sky. Yeah. We are brought to you in part by uh, SendPro, SendPro from Pitney Bowes. Now, did you know that uh, compared to stamps.com, SendPro has three times the features at one third the price? Well, it's true. You can print stamps at your computer, call it the internet of stamps, if you like, uh, or you could wait in line at the post office, up to you, but you don't have to. No special equipment is required for the SendPro. You can print paid shipping labels for US Postal Service, UPS, and more, and you can track your shipments from the same easy to use interface. You can save money, too. Uh, Pitney Bowes has negotiated special rates for Send Pro users, with savings starting at $0.03 cents per stamp. Want to learn more? Of course, Well, of course you do. Visit PB, as in Pitney Bowes, pb.com slash grantspod to find out about an introductory offer that features 90 free days of Send Pro, along with what the Pitney Bowes people insist on describing as a free 10-pound scale, when in fact the scale weighs... Uh, substantially less than 10 pounds, I suppose they mean it weighs up to 10 pounds. Yes, that's what they do imply. So thank you, Pitney Bowes. 
Well, we at Grants are in favor of long-term trends, uh, especially the ones that, uh, well, uh, especially the ones we approve of, I guess I was trying to say. Uh, but uh, we don't approve of all of them, Evan. In fact, um, I wish to, uh, by way, this is kind of a, a self-advertisement here, but it's, it's, it's in the service of illustrating that long-term trends don't always endure uh, for the long term. That is, putative long-term trends are not always for the ages. And uh, in the work we did uh, leading up to the issue of grants, we just published, uh, well, today, wait a second, we, this is coming to you, ladies and gentlemen, I got to admit it, it's coming to you not on Monday, when it's uh, released to the world, but rather the preceding Wednesday to accommodate vacation schedules, of which more in a moment. But we are talking to you shortly before 5 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, August 9th. This is the day that we release Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the World. And you can hear the hubbub out there in the street, Evan. This is the, it must, it must have hit. But in preparation for this issue, uh, we hark back to something we wrote in uh, 1996, October of 1996. This is apropos, ladies and gentlemen, of, uh, of long-term trends and their longevity. And... Um, uh, at the time, uh, the, uh, the great CEO, the Lord of Creation CEO of that era was Roberto Goizeta, who was the chairman and CEO of Coca-Cola Company. Now, Mr. Goizeta uh, was one confident CEO. And here is what he said in 1996, in the fall of 1996. He said, uh, he referred uh, to, quote, our virtually infinite opportunity for growth. Now that, that, uh, that italic infinite was his, not mine. And Coke indeed at that era was deploying an infinity symbol as, uh, as they put it, an unregistered trademark of our growth potential. Now, Evan and Phil and, and Eric, when you tempt the gods like this, you are just asking for like a big cream pie in the face of you're not, you can't do that. You can't, you can't say, infinite and italicize it and mobilize an infinity symbol in your advertising. It's not good. So in the 1995 annual, here is what Coca-Cola management uh, asked itself rhetorically in the opening letter. It said, is there ever a time you wouldn't consider buying your own stock? This is the Q&A in the 95 annual, excuse me, it's a Q&A. Uh, yes, management asked, answered its own question. Whenever securities laws say we can't, otherwise we've yet to encounter a time when we felt our stock wasn't a good long-term investment bargain for us. I mean, it's, uh, well, well, um, many people thought the same because this stock just went straight up. It had been going up since, uh, I guess, since um, Mr. Goizetta came on as CEO about uh, 1982. And um, New Coke fizzled a couple of years later, didn't matter. Uh, but Diet Coke uh, was certainly a hit. Anyway, anyway, the stock just was going straight up. So, Markets make opinions, as I've, I've quoted my late great friend Richard Russell from time to time. Markets make opinions, and the market was so dead sure that Coca-Cola was, uh, was for the ages. And it might be, but its growth track was certainly not. You know, it came to, it came to this, uh, that uh, Mr. Goizetta uh, analyzed Coke's progress, or uh, potential progress, by observing that human beings consume, uh, oh, he said, 64 ounces of liquid a day. Yet, yet, Coca-Cola currently provided fewer than two of those ounces. Well, 64 minus two is what? It's a serious growth runway. Yeah, serious growth. To answer my own question, that's 62 ounces. Yeah. 
And um, anyway, so the Coke's then share of the uh, worldwide soft drink market was 47%, which is not unlike the share of restaurant, uh, of, what am I trying to say? Share of people's- Wallet? Oh, stomach? Was, stomach, yes, yeah, a little vivid, isn't it? For this, yeah. But 50% is the percentage of the food budget uh, spent on restaurants, no? Okay. Yeah. So in Coke, uh, 19, uh, sorry, 1996, it was uh, 47%, and uh, I'm not sure where they are now, but um, they, are, they have not achieved 101%, nor have they reached the 64-ounce the limit of human liquid consumption. Oh, I suppose that could have bumped that up with some clever advertising. But anyway, so uh, two things uh, that uh, a conscientious journalist might uh, uh, observe about this story in Grants of October 11th, 1996. First is that it was a heck of a call, I must say, it was a heck of a call. Because uh, uh, presently, I'll come back to this, presently, Coca-Cola shares peaked and spent 14 years in the growth stock wilderness. 14, or 14? It's 16. 16, ah, yes. Okay, that's, that's the good part. The uh, slightly unmentionable part, but Nonetheless, to be mentioned right now is that this stock did not go down because we observed the absurdity of the infinity symbol in the advertising logo. Nor did it go down because we called upon the market gods to mobilize their thunderbolts against the presumption and the hubris of Roberto C. Guizetta. It kept going up. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, life in the growth stock lane. But you know, it, it doesn't hurt um, uh, to at least stand back from time to time and look at a putative, long-term, indeed, a putatively infinitude of um, tangled words, <laughs> to stand back and take the measure of claims that on their face are implausible and just to say, thank you, not I. I will not particip participate in this particular um, excess which is where we at Grants now stand with respect to stocks, bonds, commercial real estate. What else? Um, just a lot, lot we don't like, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, okay. So. It does seem like bond investors don't share our opinion. Uh, on August 8th, um, Restaurant Brands International, which is uh, a, a Grants bet noir, was able to sell in an upsized deal, secondly notes that yielded 5% and come due in 2025, uh, and an upsized uh, deal to 1.3 billion from uh, from initial parameters of uh, one uh, one billion. Um, these notes um, yield only 75 basis points more than the uh, first lien notes of 2024. So, uh, for the single B issuer that um, has you know I think 4.5 times net debt EBITDA, you only get a quarter point of uh, extra yield for basically getting no collateral against your claims. Yeah. Our friend Marcelo sent this to us. Thank you, Marcelo. Very good sighting. Um, and this is this is indicative of what's going on in the capital markets. Uh, you know, people build restaurants in part because they can, because the cost of capital is uh, is uh, slightly more than negligible. Yeah, they build them and buy them. Um, so Carroll Restaurant Group is actually the biggest franchisor of, of Burger King restaurants. Um, Burger King being one of the brands of uh, Restaurant Brands International. Um, their sales grew 15.8% year over year in the second quarter, and these results were just out uh, on August 9th. Um, this was uh, largely due to acquisitions. However, their adjusted EBITDA, the, the ones where they actually take out all the costs they want to recognize, actually fell. They fell to 27.5 million from 27.9 million in the year before. So it's a, a very unprofitable growth. Hmm. Okay. 
Um, I don't know. You know what the next thing is around here? The next thing around here is vacation. And uh, if I had uh, thought about this more, I would have uh, had ready the uh, the great uh, 60s or 50s rock and roll song, V-A-C-I-T-I-O-N, in the summertime. But not having anticipated, this song is not available. So I will uh, thank our listeners for being with us and uh, and say uh, we'll see you on Labor Day. It's been uh, a delight, and uh, we expect to resume operations in, uh, what, three weeks. Uh, so thank you one and all. Back to you soon. Yeah.